The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey there. Welcome to this edition of The Shalene Show. Today is a best of 2018 edition. And in this edition, what I'm going to do is share with you snippets and clips that we found to be the most popular the most insightful and the most impactful from this year's episodes. I don't know if we did this last year, but I know we did the year before and people loved it. So I'm really excited to share this with you. Now for your convenience in the show notes, which you can find by just swiping or tapping on the podcast show art, in our show notes, you'll see the names, titles, and episode numbers for every episode that you'll hear clips from in the show. So if there's a clip that you're like, oh, that's really good, I want to hear the whole thing, well, you'll know which podcast episode you can find it in. Before we head off to the show, I just want to say thank you. I really, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast with your friends, for passing along episodes to people who you know either will be served by the message or they need to hear it. Like, I can't even tell you how much I love podcasting. Like, I recently did an Instagram post and I talked about some of the things this year that might not have been the best decisions, kind of like recapping my 2018 and I very openly shared that there are a bunch of things I felt like I really mucked up this year, you know, like things I probably should have taken off my plate. And if I'm going to be honest, there was a moment at which I probably should have stopped podcasting. I do this for free. Obviously, you know that. I do it out of love. But there was some moments this year where it's like, okay, do I really need to do three podcasts a week? I do two for The Shalene Show and one for Build Your Tribe. And I probably should have given up podcasting or at least taken a little break, I should say, this year. But you know what? I'm glad I didn't because I love you guys. Like, this is my joy. So thank you. I appreciate you. Here's to the best possible 2019 ever. And thank you for spending time with me during 2018. Now off to the show. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. All right, these first six clips, it just seems to make sense that I start off with the topic that tends to be the most popular, the ones that get downloaded the most here on The Shalene Show is anything related to health, fitness, or diet. So these first six clips are from some of our most popular episodes. If through the process of education and self-exploration and, and maybe from meeting healthy people and healthy relationships and maybe doing some therapy, you suddenly realize wow, my beliefs were wrong. They're skewed. They were false beliefs. That doesn't make you a different person. It makes you, in my mind, an enlightened person. And that's where I'm at today. I'm still a fitness professional, but I'm a different fitness professional. I'm in a completely different mindset. The things I will agree to do, the things I will suggest to people are completely different based on the beliefs I have today versus the ones I have for the first 40 years of my life. And based on many of the beliefs and teachings that I shared, some of which here on my podcast, The Shalene Show, a lot of which you'll find in the tens of millions of exercise DVDs that are out there on the market that I've created. Now, the exercise itself is still something I believe in. 
It's the teaching of diet. It's the diet principles that I recognize today were flawed and were based on, well, just me kind of seeing what other people were talking about and not questioning things, like not questioning the beliefs, not questioning the teachings, not questioning industry standards. Just if enough credible people say something is true, you just don't even question it. In fact, you think you don't even need to question it. And that's frankly where I have been up until the last probably couple of years when it comes to what I was teaching and what I knew about diet. So yeah, I still consider myself a fitness professional. I consider myself now a fitness professional who's better informed. And what that means is I'm simply not okay with marketing things that imply there's a one-size-fits-all, simple, cookie-cutter prescription for diet that fits everybody. Follow this plan and therefore you will lose weight. Because it's true, but with a big asterisk by it. Yeah, you could probably lose weight, but you're going to gain it all back and damage your metabolism in the process. And by the way, 25% of people just won't lose weight. No matter what the diet is, there's a good likelihood that 25% of the population is uniquely individual, that it's not going to work for them. Something else will. But that particular diet if it's very specific, will not work for 25% of the population. And the message we've been taught as fitness professionals to tell you if you fail is, oh, well, you messed up. You didn't do it right. You weren't disciplined enough. You probably cheated. You probably didn't follow the plan. When the fact of the matter is, maybe you did, and it just didn't work for you because of a genetic factor, because of your hormone history, because of your food intolerances, where you live, your age, your gender, your DNA, so many of these things affect whether or not a particular diet will work for you. And when I say diet, it doesn't matter what diet it is. Every one of us is a little different. The ketogenic diet sometimes gets a bad rap. People tend to go about it in all the wrong ways, just like they do any diet craze, you know, loading up on low quality meats, low quality proteins and fats. And, you know, there are people who do a ketogenic diet and do it by driving through drive throughs Like there's a good way to do these things and then a not so healthy way. What I wanted to do was break down the science and the research behind ketosis and what it is you need to know about ketosis. So I bring to you one of the most renowned experts on the subject, Dr. Dominic Diagostino. When it comes to hardcore facts, the ketogenic diet and ketogenic supplements, Dr. Dom is the go-to expert. So the ketogenic diet is a diet that restricts carbohydrates and in many ways, not always, but in many ways, it mimics the effects of fasting on your body. So if you had someone who was fasting and then someone who was following the ketogenic diet and you drew blood from them and looked at some metabolic parameters like their glucose levels or ketone levels and their insulin levels, you'd see the similar trends. So the ketogenic diet mimics the effect of fasting and that's where it has its roots because we know from millennia that fasting was quote unquote like a cure for seizures. I mean, it's even, even in scripture. And at the same time, so you can continue eating calories and eat a substantial amount of calories to maintain your weight, but your body is kind of in this semi-fasted state that is 
kind of related to suppressing the hormone insulin. And we know insulin is a fat storage hormone. So we tend to, when we're on a ketogenic diet, our body converts into a fat burning mode by suppressing the hormones that typically store fat and reducing insulin, for, for example. It changes our metabolism. So I'm curious, like a part of me thinks, well, maybe it's just because people for the first time are really paying attention to their nutrients, you know, because we know if you put anyone on any kind of a diet, if you just pay attention to what you're eating, most people can be successful. But I'm seeing people who have been weight loss resistance for 10 years and tried every diet and not losing weight and they're losing weight really rapidly, quickly and seeing all of these functions of the body come into balance. How much of that do you think is just coincidental because they're paying attention? And how much of that is, do you think, the result of shifting their bodies into a state of ketosis? That's a really good question. I think it's going to vary depending on on the person. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, I've also kind of witnessed a lot of the things that you talked about. And and I think that's due in part to when you go on, when you do things like intermittent fasting or just low carb or nutritional ketosis, it's restoring our body to a state that it's probably accustomed to, (laughs) a, a more natural state in many ways. And because, you know, like in our history, we've had to go through periods of decreased food availability. And if we're eating, you know, three or maybe even six meals a day of carbohydrates and doing that day in and day out, it's largely silencing a genetic program that's really activated upon being in a a fasted state. And also the hormone insulin is is lower when you are feeding yourself, you know, a a ketogenic diet foods and, and foods that are devoid of starches and where you replace the starches largely with fibrous carbohydrates like vegetables and with, with adequate protein. It's changing your hormonal uh, state in ways that can have a lot of therapeutic benefits. More and more people aren't just talking about fasting, they're doing it. And maybe you've considered it too. But are people doing it for the right reasons? And do they know why fasting is so beneficial? What's the best way to go about fasting for health and or longevity? This is one of my favorite scientists. Without further ado, Dr. Walter Longo. In terms of the powerful benefits from a cellular standpoint, when we're talking about starvation or fasting versus calorie restriction, what is the difference? And why is there a difference? Yeah, well, in one case, you're basically just giving the signal to the body, I just have less food. Less. And so everything goes down and everything is reduced Mm -hmm. chronically. And that includes your muscle and probably at least some immune functions. Now, keep in mind that you don't need to be weaker in all areas to be killed or to be in trouble, right? It could be that you're weaker in 20% of the defenses. And uh-huh. it's just a matter of time before that particular bug you're going to be exposed to. Right. Uh, and then you have a problem, right? So that's color restriction. Very positive, chronic, very hard to do because obviously imagine if somebody told you right now, from now on you eat 30% less. I don't think you have to imagine. <laughs> I yeah, think a so lot of us have done that. Well, I mean, for the rest of your life. Sure. Right? So, so this is uh, impossible. Uh, very, very difficult. And, you know, periodic fasting instead and by fasting, I mean prolonged, periodic and prolonged fasting. So something lasting three, four, five days or longer. This causes very different changes. All of a sudden, the body is not just a restriction of calorie, you're just eliminating all calories. So the body is forced to switch to a ketogenic mode. It's forced to go 
and we found out that it gets its fuel from the belly fat mm -hmm. and all of the fuel from the belly fat it doesn't really go after the subcutaneous fat it goes to the belly fat and that's probably because and it makes sense right that's the tank right that's yeah. the, the fuel tank at the same time it goes after almost every system right the muscle the immune system etc etc but it seems to be able to recognize and we're still only at the beginning of this understanding it seems to be able to recognize the good and the bad right so if something is damaged let's say a cancer cell it kills the cancer cell mm -hmm. much more i mean the normal cell becomes protected and the cancer cells dies right so it's very differential facts and let's say autoimmune cell dies and yet the stem cell, the hematopoietic stem cells that give rise to immune cells, they are activated, right? And that's very a very different process than when someone's calorie restricting. And is that because of the metabolic system? Because when someone's calorie restricting, they're still, well, there's still glucose and glycogen and they haven't burned through those stores, so they're not into a ketogenic state. Is that why they're so different as when you go into a ketogenic state yeah yeah so when you're calorie restricted you have a lot of fuel and you're just smaller so you know at some point you weigh 30 percent less and yeah. you eat 30 percent less yeah. right so the body just goes into this new mode but there is nothing different nothing that different from before when you fast it's not so much the only the fasting that's another mistake that is commonly uh, made is the fasting and the refeeding right ah yes uh, so the fasting has the job of breaking down why well first of all all the mass that you have it requires energy right right so i always talk about a wood train wood burning train that's an analogy that i use and imagine now you're running out of fuel right you're 100 miles from the next station and so what do you do well, first of all, you burn wood, let's say the chairs, the walls that are... The what most, you don't need? What you don't need, but you go, you will go pick the ones that are in the worst shape, right? Yeah. The ones that are broken, you know, yeah. first, right? If you were the owner of the train. And so you burn them, now you get to the train station, and in the train station, you can rebuild, right? You mm. can now take new wood and rebuild. So now you have mm -hmm. a new train, and then maybe the next station. And that's exactly what the body does, right? So you need to be lighter because you need to have less weight but at the same time you want to use that as fuel yes so you want to use yourself as fuel your training so in in our case of course we use the fat that is uh, accumulated here and most people have a couple months of reserve right <laughs> of, of i mean people are worried about five days and they don't realize that they have several months of reserves yeah. on average you can take back control you can understand how to curb these cravings how to control them how to stop them Specifically, the cravings that we have for carbohydrates, for sugary foods, for processed foods, for the foods that we know are not improving our health. Let's talk about first what a craving is. A craving is something very different from hunger, true hunger. Now, we use these words sometimes interchangeably, like, oh, I'm really hungry for a fill-in-the-blank. And it's not that you're actually hungry, like you don't have that sensation of an empty stomach of a bottomless pit where you're getting weak and tired and you've run out of energy. That's true hunger. It's physiological. But we often will use that word, I'm hungry for, when really what we mean is we have an appetite for or we are craving something. And that is often a combination of a physiological and a psychological response, which is to say there is definitely something happening physically 
It's not all in your mind. It's not just that you're thinking about a Twinkie, so you feel like you must eat a Twinkie or you're hungry for a Twinkie. It's not just a mental state. There is a physiological reason why you're craving, desiring, or hungry for this particular food. Now, until recently, we didn't fully understand what causes us to crave certain foods. Foods that, if our bodies are as smart as we're told they are, it doesn't really make sense that they, that our super smart body would crave something that didn't promote health, that wasn't good for us. But recent research ties a lot of these cravings to the gut microbiome. That's a term you've been hearing a lot here on The Shaleen Show because it's something we've really begun to understand relates to your health. So when you're talking about getting healthy, about getting fit, about living your best possible life, I now today realize something I didn't realize more than two years ago, and that is it's just impossible to be a healthy individual, define yourself as a healthy individual and have an unhealthy gut because it is your gut microbiome that is responsible for your immune system. So if your immune system is compromised by a weakened or thinning gut lining or a leaky gut, if you will, or even dysbiosis, it's going to compromise a lot of different areas of your health and you might not even realize it. But we now know that gut microbes actually play a significant role in influencing the physiological response you have to food, like why you crave certain foods. I'm with my friend, Sean Stevenson. Really excited to be here with him today. And what I love about Sean and his show, The Model Health Show, is we share a common belief about health. Yeah. That it's so much more than working out. Absolutely, yeah. And you're here today to help understand fat loss isn't just about your workout mm -hmm. or your nutrition. It has a lot to do with your habits. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, how you start your day really does play a huge role on what your metabolism does. So can't wait to talk about this stuff. It's a tip I've been sharing for many years, but now it's becoming a lot more pervasive. A lot of health experts are grabbing onto it. And for the six F, so this one is fuel your circulation. Mm -hmm. All right, fuel your circulation. And this is taking advantage of this really cool thing called water-induced thermogenesis. All right, water-induced thermogenesis. This is simply drinking water in the morning is going to help you burn more fat through the day. Mm -hmm. All right, and I'm going to explain exactly how this happens. And so when you wake up in the morning, this is the time that for a lot of us, we're the most dehydrated. We've gone, you know, somewhere around maybe seven or eight hours for some crazy people, maybe three hours, mm -hmm. you know, via sleeping that we haven't consumed any water. But your body's expelled and utilized a lot of water to kind of go through all the metabolic processes of just sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of metabolic waste and also just breathing. You're expending a lot of moisture. When you wake up in the morning, you're in a state of dehydration. And you probably notice this. When you go pee and the pee is kind of more concentrated mm -hmm. all right and so by you going within the first five minutes and grabbing yourself i recommend between 16 ounces and maybe 24 ounces of water oh we are on point and there's a reason why there's a reason why so this was in the journal of clinical endocrinology and metabolism they took test subjects 14 people seven women seven men and they had them to consume about 16 ounces of water and track what happens with their fat loss all right. And so by them simply drinking 16 ounces of water just within a couple of minutes, they increased their metabolic rate by 30 percent. Wow. Right? And they burned about 24 extra calories just from drinking water. And so people hear it all the time. You know, you need to drink more water to lose weight. Well, this is why it's not just the fact of like one, one of the components. And I'm a you know, I'm a geek about this stuff is your body is heating the water up to your 
body temperature. But that does not mean to drink colder water. It's not going to make a difference. Ideally, it's room temperature water, mm-hmm. and it's going to heat it from maybe 70 degrees up to 98.6. So there is a little burn there. But more so, when you drink that water, it starts to improve your lymphatic fluid. Mm-hmm. It starts to improve your cerebral spinal fluid. Your neurotransmitters, they all are moving through your body on this kind of water superhighway. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you're dehydrated like you are in the morning, all that stuff starts to get gummed up. All right? So it basically turns your metabolism up by getting all the systems, opening up those tiny little alleyways and making them super six-lane highways, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is great. You know, I was looking for research because we've heard it for so many years that you should drink warm lemon water. And I could only find anecdotal, basically, reports from people who suggested this to their clients for so many years. I couldn't find any research on that. Do you know, is there research that says you're supposed to drink warm water? I looked looked for that for several days, actually. And I'm very, very good about finding research. And by the way, anything that I say, you can triple check me, go to Dr. Google. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I also, the thing that makes me different is I look for the negative as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just sure. want to find something to affirm what they believe, you know, and so I've gotten over myself and found out like, is there some kind of counterpoint to that? And so as far as the warm water versus cold water, there isn't any conclusive research, right. you know, so, but what the researchers in this particular study mentioned was just drinking. Drink the water. Yeah. Drinking water however you can. Well, yeah, whatever yeah. it takes to drink exactly. that water. Yeah. I love that. So what's the best exercise you should do? It's kind of a trick question. I'm sure you would agree it depends. The the answer depends. Like, what's your goal? If we're talking about longevity, the best exercise is a combination of both, where you're doing both strength training and you're getting a cardiovascular workout. But I don't mean running for an hour or an hour and 30 minutes. I mean 20 to 30 minutes a day of cardiovascular activity that doesn't place tremendous stress on your body. You know, it might seem like a really good idea the more cardio you do, but it's actually not true. You need to think about it in terms of like, what's your goal? Because when it comes to strength training, that is by far the fastest way to ramp up your metabolism. So if your goal is fat loss, if your goal is to be strong, if your goal is to change your physique, nothing is going to transform the look of your body cosmetically more than strength training. You know, which one's better for fat loss and weight loss? I would say strength training if I had to choose one or the other, but ideally you should be doing both. These next three clips are all about how to be more productive. All right, if we're going to beat procrastination, we have to figure out why we do it. I definitely have my moments of procrastination. I think one of the reasons why I've been successful or we've had the success that we've had is because I've learned to identify why I'm procrastinating. But to procrastinate is very normal. So let's talk about the different reasons why we sometimes procrastinate. Number one is overconfidence. It's not like the number one reason why, but it's the first one we're going to talk about. Overconfidence. That meaning we think we can do it in a really short amount of time. So we kind of put it off until the last possible second. Number two reason why we might procrastinate is we just don't even know where to begin. It's so overwhelming or there's so many things to do. Like the list is so long that we don't even know where to start. Or worse yet, we haven't made a list. There's so many things going on in our head, so many ideas, so many things we know we need to do that we haven't actually sat down to make a list of all the things that need to be done. Because if you make a list, well, we're going to talk about this in a second, because if you make a list, 
you then can prioritize that list. If you never make a list, it just grows kind of virtually in your head and becomes very overwhelming. The number three reason why we procrastinate is because we don't personally believe the task is that important. So take, for example, if someone in your home has asked you to do something that's important to them, but you're like, yeah, I just uh, don't really feel like doing that right now, like vacuuming or whatever, you're going to put it off if it's not that important to you. Or maybe it's not at home. Think about at work where someone has asked you to do something and you're like, yeah, I'll do that later because it's just, I don't want to do it. It's not that important to me. The next reason why we might procrastinate is laziness. We just don't feel like doing things. This can be pretty serious if you're dealing with depression or anxiety or sadness. When those things hit you, you just don't feel like even checking your inbox or returning a phone call. Trust me, if you listen to The Shaleen Show, I don't think it's even possible for you to be a lazy person. So if you have moments where you just don't feel like doing anything, it might be because of overwhelm or depression, anxiety, but I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I don't think there are any lazy people that listen to The Shalene Show. Another reason why you might procrastinate is you aren't motivated by the outcome. Like it's a big daunting task and it's just not that important to you. But one of the most powerful reasons why we procrastinate is because we fear the outcome. Whether it's fear of success, fear of how things are going to go, we procrastinate having a conversation because we don't know the outcome, we procrastinate applying for that job because we fear how life could be different if we actually get that job, or we procrastinate starting a business because we fear failure. So Those are the top reasons why we procrastinate. And I think what you want to start with doing next in order to kind of nip this in the bud is get out a pen and a piece of paper and make a list of everything, a massive brainstorm of all the things you'd like to do. And I want you to do this without regard to the area of your life. When it comes to being organized and productive and on on task, it's widely accepted The success of your day is greatly determined by how you start your day. It's your morning. And there's been countless books and blog posts written about this. Simply do a search on Google for successful habits and inevitably page after page after page of blog posts, videos, book reviews, and you name it will pop up covering the topic of morning rituals, morning habits, miracle morning, whatever you want to call it. It's widely accepted that it's a habit you need to establish. Successful people have a morning routine. But what's rarely talked about is how they make that morning routine a possibility. I know for me, it was a real struggle. I would wake up each morning, not naturally a morning person, and I would be drawn to do things that felt good, not that were necessarily habit or routine. And so as I tried really hard maybe as you have, to establish these morning routines, I often found myself like feeling behind the gun, like out of time and distracted by other things until I realized that a morning routine is established by what you do the night before. And it's just not talked about enough. I mean, I certainly didn't invent this, but I want to share with you my tips for preparing myself the night before, successorizing my morning by doing so the night before. 
Tip number one is to establish your agenda, your schedule, the night before. Now, here's why this is such an important tip. Tip number one is because when I'm creating my agenda the night before, I also, on the opposite side, the opposite page of my Smart Life Journal is a blank page for notes. I will do a very quick five-minute or less brain dump of anything that I, you know how you do, anything I don't want to forget for the next day. You see, if you don't put it down on paper and you let that thought just pop into your brain for two seconds, your brain has to do something with that and it will try to decide, okay, can I let go of this? Is this important information? Do I need to bounce this around in her head all night long so she doesn't forget it? Do I store it in her long-term memory? What do I do with this information? And oftentimes that one thought will create a chain reaction. Then you think of something else you want to make sure you don't forget. And your brain gets very tired from having to make decisions about what to do with all this information. When you take that thought and transfer it from your mind or your head onto paper, it's like you've been freed of it. You know you don't have to keep track of it. Your brain says, oh, cool, I'm off duty. I don't have to try to remember this. It's written down on paper. She'll see it tomorrow. I get so much better sleep by just taking two to three minutes every single night on that little piece of paper that I know I'm going to see the next morning when I go to brush my teeth. This is a critical first step for me to successorize my morning. We all go through periods of time when things are just kind of crazy and you've got to understand that there's a different way you need to plan your day and take control of what's happening in your day or at least control of your schedule so that you feel productive and also so that you're giving yourself some grace. It's kind of, well, it's ridiculous to think that you can go at the same pace at the same level of productivity 365 days a year, but we beat ourselves up, right? Like I talk to you and you tell me like, oh, Shaleen, I'm, I just haven't been as productive lately. Dude, that's okay. That's normal. We can't go at the same pace 24-7. You'd just burn out. We are not robots. So start first by cutting yourself some slack and giving yourself some grace. Step number two is to recognize what season you're in and ask yourself what's important. For me, the holidays, what's really important is just to enjoy it with my family and to just make memories like everything's a memory for me during the holidays like I love decorating I love shopping I love having family over and watching documentaries and just spending less time working and more time with them and my friends and my family and so if that's important then it doesn't make sense for me to feel like I'm not hitting my mark just because I didn't get a lot of work done. So decide first and foremost what's important to you. So if the holidays aren't important to you for those reasons, what is important to you? Maybe it's during the holidays that you actually can get more work done on your business because things at your job are slower. I don't know what it is, but regardless of what time of year it is, when you're in a busy season, like let's say you're getting ready for your first child or you're planning for your wedding or maybe you're getting ready to send your child off to college. It's very clear what your priority should be in each one of those scenarios. So make that your priority and place less emphasis on all the other things that you normally do. This is a season for whatever it is that's important to you. 
and just recognize you can't do all things at all times. You can do everything, just not all at once. Last but not least, and perhaps most importantly, the next several clips are all about how to like live a better life, how to live a fuller life, and how to be happy. The idea that we were each born with like one thing that's our purpose that we were supposed to do for the rest of our lives is erroneous and quite limiting. And that's why we get so caught up in, well, is this my purpose? Is that my purpose? And because we've made such a big deal about the fact that you have a singular life's purpose, it's no wonder that people get freaked out about identifying the right purpose or the right thing or taking action. Instead of searching for your life's purpose, the first question I want you to ask yourself is, does my life have a purpose? Every single person who is listening, who can hear me right now, the answer is yes. We don't need to search for our life's purpose. We just need to embrace the fact that our life serves a purpose. And we serve a purpose by serving others. And when I say others, I don't mean millions. I don't mean thousands. I mean, if your life serves one other person, your life has significance. That's the first question you have to ask yourself. But frankly, it's a rhetorical question because the mere fact that you're here means that your life has purpose. The next question I would suggest you ask yourself is what truth do you know personally that you would defend, you'd be willing to face criticism, hostility, persecution. It doesn't matter because you believe so strongly in this. And maybe it's a truth that you had to figure out on your own. Maybe it's a truth that you haven't yet come to accept, right? So, so often we know what our life's purpose is. We know how we want to serve and help others, maybe even if it's just one person, but we haven't yet processed or worked through painful experiences of our past. So we don't want to fight for a truth yet because we haven't come to accept that truth yet. Perhaps the truth is it wasn't your fault, that you are a good person and that you deserve to be treated better and that every child deserves to be treated with love and respect and cared for and protected in a way that maybe you weren't. Maybe that thing that you so strongly believe in is your faith. Or maybe at one point, your truth, the thing that you're willing to fight for, the thing that kept you awake at night was related to, say, a political cause. And that at the time was your purpose. Now, does that mean that that's your life's purpose? I would say no. Because it's very likely that 10 years later, life reveals to you another opportunity to serve others. Purpose doesn't necessarily relate to your profession. It doesn't have to be something that's so grandiose that everyone accepts it as significant. Purpose is something that changes as you have more life experiences, as you recognize that there are things you want to fight for, things that are important to you, things that you've come to believe or come to know because of your life, because of your experiences. I want you to think about the dream that you've made possible today. What in your life today 
wasn't a reality, say, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you dreamed of. Maybe it's something as simple or maybe something that you even take for granted. Like, I dreamed that I would get married and have children. Well, look, here you are. You dreamed that. Or maybe you dreamed that you would go to college. And look, here you are in college. Like, whatever it is today that once was a dream, recognize that there was a period of time in your life when it didn't exist. It wasn't a thing other than your dream. That is proof, and it should be evidence for you, that you can make dreams possible. But you have to give yourself permission. I ask you today to give yourself permission to be grateful for all that you have, but at the same time, to believe that something bigger and better is possible. And I want you to think of it as a dream because sometimes if we make it a goal, it feels audacious. It feels like too big, too far off, or you know, like we want to be humble, so we want to be reasonable, so we don't give ourselves permission to create audacious dreams. I want you to give yourself the space and the time to dream today. Start by thinking about what do you love? What do you love doing? What makes you passionate? What, when you close your eyes and think about it, would be the freaking coolest thing in the world? Give a texture. Where would you live? What car would you be driving? What would your relationships be like? What would your physique look like? What would your mood feel like? How would you be feeling? How would you feel? Would you feel happy? Would you feel peaceful? Would you feel important? Would you feel needed? So the way you do this is by carving out time to daydream. I personally like to do this moving. I personally need to do this by myself. I like to take a walk because there's something about movement, like just walking or riding your bike or being out in nature, just like allows you to daydream. In order for you to have more peace in your life, maybe, like me, you have to worry less about what way people decide to go and not try to win an argument or convince people that there's a better way. Because a lot of people, when you're offering an opinion or advice or even trying to win an argument or convince somebody with facts, it is regarded as an attack on their identity. And it took me many years to figure this out. I was just willing to argue with anyone if I believed there was a better way or something that would be in their best interest or an easier way, a way for them to avoid pain, a way for them to make more money, a way for them to be happier. I would present facts and be very passionate about my advice, but that sometimes feels like an argument to people. And when you're making an argument with anyone, get this, this is really the important piece. Because I know you've had this happen, where you like you have facts and you lay them out for someone And it's like not even that you're trying to change their mind. You're just like, here are the facts. I don't know what you're thinking, buddy, but here are the facts. Well, what we know now about studying the brain is that when we try to change a person's mind, we slip into an area of the brain where people hold beliefs. 
And our beliefs are closely tied to our identity, which is why you've probably struggled and wanted to smack your hand up against your head like, dude, how do you not see this? Here are the facts. And someone will just like absolutely deny them and not change their mind. And you feel like, are they just being stubborn? Are they, do they not get it? Well, actually, they don't want to get it and their brain is not allowing them to get it because it feels like unintentionally, subconsciously, an attack on your identity. How to create an amazing circle of friends. So how do you do that? How do you put together? How do you invite yourself to belong to a group of friends? How do you make new friends? Right. If you've got friends, how do you pull them all together and how do you know who to invite and what does this look like? Let me start by saying what I'm talking about isn't just a group of friends. That's great if you've got just like a group of people that you're acquaintances with. I want to explore what it means to have a group of ride or dies. Like these are people who they're like, I don't care. You don't have to explain it to me. I trust you. Let's do it. They're the people who. You don't have to necessarily talk to them every day, but they have your back. Like they will, I will cut you if you come for one of my girls, right? Like these are the people who you know they're going to speak the truth to you. They don't want anything from you. They aren't jealous. They're not vindictive. They're not gossiping behind your back. They really want the best for you. And they're hopefully it's a group of women or a group of friends, I should say, that they inspire you. They make you want to be better. I'm not talking about that group that you hang out with because it makes it okay that you have these negative things in your life, right? Like we all know that person who hangs out with a crowd that's like, eh, it's bringing them down because they're engaging in behaviors that don't make them a better mom, don't make them a better wife, a better businessman, a better father. They're hanging out with this group because you know what they say, birds of a feather flock together. And so they're hanging out with a group that's pulling them down and it makes them feel better about themselves because their circle of friends is doing all these kind of lame things too. I'm talking about a group that lifts you up. Well, let me start by just sharing my own experience and I hope that it will shed some light on your situation. The group that I invite on an annual girls trip every year, there's like probably 10 or 15 girls and it, it rotates based on who's available, kind of what's going on in our lives and, and sometimes closeness, right? I mean, relationships do in fact take work, you know, cause I'm the planner, I'm the organizer. And I reached out to my friends in social media and said, okay, I know some of you do a trip like this or you've got a group of friends that's tight like this. I want to hear from those of you who are the glue, the ones who keep it together because there needs to be an organizer. Everyone plays a different role in a group like this. I happen to be the organizer and that's kind of step one. I mean, if there's no one organizing this group of friends to get together, then there's no friends getting together. And if you're not connecting with the organizer, and you're not the person organizing, then this thing is never going to happen. So step one is either you've got to organize this or you've got to connect with the person who is the organizer. So just a word to those of you who are, you're the person who does the planning, whether it's for your group, 
whether it's date night between you and your husband, or you're the person who's always calling your best friend and saying, hey, let's do this, let's do that. And not even just talking in groups. If you're the person in the relationship who does the planning, the organizing, the orchestrating, comes up with the ideas, don't be resentful for it. I know that's human nature to feel that way from time to time, but it's your role. It's what you're good at. And that's why people, they do expect you to do it because you're good at it. And that's what we expect of people when everyone has a role. So just don't be resentful of your role. Be empowered by it. Do it lovingly. Don't do it expecting something in return. It's because you're good at it. Thanks so much for joining me on this edition of The Shaleen Show. Thank you so much for your support during 2018. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for giving me the gift of your time, the time you spent with me, the time that you've taken to write a review. I mean, that's huge. That's a big deal. I know when I go out of my way to write a review on iTunes or on Yelp or whatever, I always do that because I think it's the kind thing to do if I get great service, if it's something that I enjoy from other people. So I just want you to know, I look at those every single time I sit down to record and they inspire me and they motivate me. And it's one of the reasons why I think you'd have to kill me to get me to stop podcasting. I freaking love doing this because I love you. I love my lifers. Like we should go on a vacation or something together. I love you guys so much. Thank you for reaching out to me on social media. You know how to do that. It's Shalene Johnson. So whatever your favorite platform is, send me a message, drop by and say hello. And just know that you are the bomb.com. I love you. I mean it. This episode has been brought to you by the Smart Life Push Journal. If you're the type of individual who loves to make lists, keep yourself on task, get organized, and there just don't seem to be enough hours in the day. This is a convenient, lightweight, simple to use 30 day system. This is not just a day planner. And learn how you can get your health, fitness, life and goals organized and develop the laser focus you need to have the life that you deserve. Check it out. Go to smartlifepushjournal.com.